This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have an exciting show with a real up-and-comer in the bass fishing world here in Arizona. Manny Chi of Manny Chi Outdoors produces an incredible website and has some of the best bass fishing videos I've seen. Welcome to the show, Manny. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, how's um, how's the fishing been? It's been a little crazy. This year we've uh, been experiencing some weird weather patterns. We Fall is usually a really strong time for our bite, and this year the fall kind of got skipped. We just went from like a long summer into winter, and then now we're in some hot weather. But good news is the spawn is coming, and no matter what happens with weather, the fish are going to spawn, and we're already starting to see fish shallow, which is really good for our patterns. So it's all it's all looking up. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad the future is bright. And Manny, you're primarily talking about largemouth bass, correct? Largemouth bass. Um, I also, you know, I, I specialize kind of in the swim bait um, techniques for targeting big bass, and also do carp on the fly, trout on fly, and also bass on fly. You know, I follow you. I've followed you for a long time. I've I've known you for quite a while, but I follow you on Instagram and and I follow your website with all your great videos. Oh, and it seems that. like every, every time I turn around, you've got a big old fish uh, that you're that you're uh, releasing, and um, it's just fun to watch. It's great to see the enthusiasm you have for fishing. Um, oh, why you. don't you tell me a little bit about how you started fishing, and uh, let's start there. Okay, I guess. Uh, well, thanks for that, by the way. I also follow you on Instagram. I love seeing you guys' page. It's crazy the picture you guys put up, and uh, we'll keep that up. I guess my fishing started, you know, at five years old. Um, my dad was not really much of an angler. He was more of a hunter and a wing shooter. Uh, but we grew up here. I grew up here in Mesa, and uh, in the community where I, I grew up, there's a system of eight ponds that are fed by canal waters. And uh, the one thing that my dad did know how to teach me was how to put on a bobber, a hook, and a piece of corn. And you were you were set then, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, and it was all about you know bluegill and sunfish back then. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess my first experience with bass or with something other than those bluegill was when I was uh, fishing with my buddy George, and we had to be somewhere in between that five to ten year old range. And uh, you know we were fishing, and I I hooked into this bluegill. And I was really excited. I didn't want to take the bluegill out of the water, but I wanted to show my buddy George. So I ran over to him. He was probably 25 yards from me. And I was running with the, you know, with the fish in the water along the shoreline. And I was kind of running over. And all of a sudden, I see this big black green monster fish type thing come up. And it ate my bluegill while it was on my line. It, you know, it shook out line. And, and instantly, it snapped right off. Took my bluegill, my bobber, my whole setup, and that was my first experience really with bass, or even you know <laughs> the future, which now you know years later is swim baits. Um, so that was your eye opener, right was there. It. Uh, yes. After that, it was like, wow, I want to, uh, I want to be catching those fish. I want to see what uh-huh. those are all about. It was pretty much like a shark to me. <laughs> And how did you transition then? Because, I mean, everything I know about you is, you know, you're chasing trophy fish. 
how did you then, you know, just progress and start? Did you physically start chasing big fish? I mean, did the light go off so much that you just said, that's, that's what I want to do? Or not did, at was all. It a progression? <laughs> I'd have to say not at all. Uh, for many years after that, it was, uh, you know, buying all kinds of just crazy looking uh, baits, spinner baits, crank baits. You know, I always liked fluorescent colors and the, the crazy stuff like that. Not knowing that, you know, really what colors meant or why you want to choose one color over another. I used to go to the, uh, it was back then, it was Yellow Front out here. Mm-hmm. And, yep, uh, yep. you know, that was down the street. And I just used to go there and pick out a few lures and kind of kept throwing them. It's something that I really, like, I look back and it it really, like, brings it all together. That, like, when you, you know, when you have this, like, angling thing in you, it's it's in you no matter what. Because I know that I didn't catch fish for many years after that. <laughs> was, yeah. It was a big struggle, and I don't know how I kept, you know, I kept the interest in it. And I absolutely loved it. And even though I probably knew that I probably wouldn't catch anything, I would still ride my bike over to the local ponds and, and grind it out. Um, so, Manny, uh-huh. do you feel like today uh, that same feeling as grinding it out as a kid? I mean, do you do you feel like... You know, you have one of the best jobs in the world. Do you feel? Do you have that same love and feeling every day that you wake up about uh, about the future and for that day? Absolutely. I mean, even just talking to you right here, like the hairs on my arms are standing up. I uh, I'm so stoked about it. I think you can you know you can see it in the pictures. I run around, I scream, I yell. Um, you know, it has become a little more about these bigger size fish, but. At the same time, you kind of always have to take a step back and uh, and just love fishing, whether it's for bluegill, bass, tarpon, you know, anything. And uh, you know, one of the things that I was really lucky ever since I was little, also, is that my dad, um, my dad and my mom got a timeshare in Cancun, Mexico, and mm-hmm. uh, we, that was a yearly trip that we would make in August. And for you know, for two weeks, I used to get to fish saltwater. So I kind of really got exposed to not just the freshwater, but the saltwater stuff and, and a lot of other different types of fishing, you know, throughout that time, you know, I guess also another important thing is when your parents kind of cater this love for the outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, you know, if, if they kind of cater to it and help you experience it in the right ways, I think that that's something that definitely lasts forever. Uh, well, that that's that's a great tip for any parent out there that's listening to just keep their child interested and give them opportunities yes. to hunt and fish. And tell me about uh, Cancun and tell me about, you know, what were some of the fish you were catching and, and would you go out and surf fish or were, was it blue water? It was, or, or tell uh, me. Yeah, it was back then. It was, you know, pangas, the Mexican panga uh-huh. boats. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. we would go out and our trips consisted really of like snorkeling. Um, you know, later on it was like with harpoons and stuff, but we would always also troll. And, uh, back then a lot of it was, uh, barracuda, dorado, uh, skipjacks, you know, small tunas, I remember. And, uh, the occasional like groupers, red snappers, uh, and, we, and that became even later, you know, sailfish and a lot of neat stuff when I was probably in my teens is when we first started hearing about like the flats style fishing and out there they have lagoons and flats where they have tarpon, permit, bonefish and snook. And the snook I always found really interesting because I really related to it. It was like, 
it was like bass fishing on steroids and kind of all the stuff that I always wanted to see here in my local ponds, like overhanging trees and laid down stumps. And, you know, we even at first we even started targeting them with a lot of the gear that we already had, the jerk baits and poppers and, you know, things like that. So I was really lucky to have, you know, a big progression there in a lot of different styles of fishing and a lot of different types of fish that I ended up, you know, really loving later also. Would you say if you had to break it down these days, are you, is your percentage more fly fishing? Is it more uh conventional rig? Tell me kind of what your setup is and, uh-huh. you know, give me kind of a breakdown of, you know, I do this much and this much and, you know, percentage wise. I guess, um, you know, one of the, back then also, one of the big things, like when I started with the local ponds, you know, I guess I told my dad, dad, I need an inflatable raft so I can get out on the ponds and fish these things better from inflatable raft we got to looking at aluminum boats from there we got to fiberglass boats and in 89 my dad bought a bass boat and uh, he had a friend mark edelman that was kind of a local tournament guy and he would take me out and he was really the mentor that i had that showed me a lot of like the techniques that work out here and Mm -hmm. how to work the baits what baits you want to be looking at And, you know, really my, there's something about fishing from a boat that I just really love. You know, I always feel like I probably should have been born on the ocean or something among the tide. (laughs) But like, (laughs) I I really like fishing from a boat. But, you know, so that takes up a major percentage, I would say, of my fishing is is waking up, you know, hooking up the boat and going out to the big lakes. And uh, and it really can be any size of boat, whether it's a small aluminum boat, a canoe, I love it all. And, you know, another thing that kind of opened up a lot, too, is uh, we have a cabin in the White Mountains. And there I got to do a lot of like the technical small stream fishing. Um, Again, another mentor type of guy was a friend of my dad's that uh, heard that I was really into fishing. And I think I was probably about 13 when he gave me an Orvis fly rod. And that was my first fly rod. So I always kind of, you know, one thing that I always really liked about like my whole background of fishing was that it's always been very like it's always varied you know I've never mm-hmm. just been into only one thing I I really think that it makes you a better angler when you when you touch on all bases of fishing there's so many different techniques and ways to fish fly fishing bait casting um you know shallow deep in it when you really touch on all of them it makes you I think a better angler Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I know with my hunting, people ask me, well, you know, why don't you just focus on one thing? And you tell me what you think. But my biggest answer to people mostly is, you know, if I just did sheep or if I just did elk or coos deer, you know, focused on one specific animal, turkey, that I feel like I would maybe get burnt out if I was, you know, only focused on one style of hunting, Mm -hmm. you know, one animal to hunt. I think one of the beauties of doing what we do and you're you're a hunter and a fisherman just like me is we have all these different seasons and so it seems like we can stay energized and and stay proficient at what we do because mentally you know we're fired up for maybe uh you know turkey season coming up and then looking forward to you know trout fishing in the summer and then maybe looking forward to chasing elk whereas you may be looking at you know striper fishing at a certain time what in a bass fish you know uh, largemouth at another time what's your thoughts on that absolutely i think that's kind of a really great way of putting it all you know it it does all happen in seasons 
Um, sure, there's ways to target, you know, just bass or just trout year round. But I just think I have one of those personalities where I get really super into things, but I can't, I can't hold on to that for 10 years, five, you know, extended amount of time. I, I definitely need variety. And uh, I really enjoy that. And when you, you know, when things start slowing down in one world, you can pick up another, you know, technique and go target another species of fish. And, you know, even though here in Arizona, as far as fishing goes, we may not have the variety that somebody growing up in Florida does. You know, we still have a good variety of things to do throughout the year. And like you said, you mix it up with hunting, wing shooting. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really a neat thing. And, and, uh, Variety is a spice of life for me. So, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, Manny, tell me a little bit about. I, I was on your website uh, last night and this morning, and um, I just enjoy those videos a lot. But tell me about these uh, big swim baits. Tell me about when you're targeting. You know, what time of year are you typically targeting these mm -hmm. big fish? You know, why? Why is it better some months and not? Give me a yeah. give me a little background on that. So the you know the whole swim bait thing. Um, I would. You know, there's probably a lot of controversy on this, and I don't, I don't go too deep into it, but I would say that it's probably something that started in California. And, I, you know, I, in our western lakes, and this happens here in Arizona also, uh, they stock trout into our bass lakes for trout fishermen. And I think people started realizing that, hey, when that trout truck shows up, you know, they throw in the trout, and then all of a sudden you start – hearing and seeing these monster splashes, something's eating the trout, and it's the bass. And I, I would say that that's probably how it all started. And even to this day, most of the baits are really kind of focused on trout profiles and trout colors. But I think that, you know, we've all come to realize that it's really, it's a, it's a biologic, you know, a biological thing that happens that in the winter when a fish's, you know, a fish's metabolism slows down as the water cools down and they change from being something that's, you know, metabolizing food very quickly and able to have a lot of energy to chase that, which is like the summer when they're chasing smaller things like shad and, uh, you know, smaller bait fish. In the winter, they want to eat less. And it's kind of like the same idea as like, why does a lion you know, hunt down buffaloes instead of hunting down, you know, chickens, because mm -hmm. that there's a, you know, nature has a balance. And if they spend too many calories for something that's giving them a low calorie in return, you know, they become skinny and die. Uh, so the big bass, as they, you know, when a, when a bass becomes about five pounds, four pounds, it really starts to change the way it acts. And it starts to become much more focused on eating big and eating less. And I would say, so that's why, you know, the fall, the winter, and, you know, into the spring is kind of a time when the, when the swim baits really shine. If you want to continue fishing swim baits in the summer, you can still do it, but you really need to downsize your offerings because now you're trying to mimic more like shad and the smaller bait fish like that, you know, the bluegill. So it, it really makes sense when you think about it, even though most people, when they see the size of these lures, which are, you know, pretty much what I use on my trips are 10 to 12 inch lures. And most people see these things and think, what are you guys fishing for? Sharks or what, what's going on here? Like the fish I'm trying to catch are the size of your baits. And uh, yeah, I know that uh -huh. the other day I, I was out uh Canyon Lake and I was looking for sheep and 
I pulled up and I was kind of glassing these sheep from the boat and I was looking up there and these guys kind of pull up and they're kind of looking at me like, and I'm looking at them like I'm no threat. I'm not even fishing. I'm just <laughs> looking at the sheep and they pull out these rods and I'm not kidding you. They, they must've cast 80 yards. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever yeah. seen. And it looked like they, I mean, it looked like they had a 12 inch fish already on and right. <laughs> you know, I was like, good night. And then it, you know, I'm not much of a bass fisherman, but it brought back, oh, this is probably what Manny's doing with the swim bait. Absolutely, yeah. So what was the first time, so you get this swim bait, mm-hmm. your first time, and tell me about the first time that you had a big fish hit you, and tell me what it did to you. Man, I guess, like, probably the first, you know, back in the, back in my, like my earlier days, Water Dog Willies was still around here in Tempe. And mm-hmm. those guys helped me out a lot. You know, that's when I kind of first started taking out my dad's boat on my own, you know, with a couple friends or whatever. And, uh, you know, we always saw that they had these goofy looking big trout baits there. And kind of it was always one of those things that, oh, yeah, you know, if you're lucky enough to be there during the, the trout stocking, you'll, you know, you have a chance at catching these big bass. But I would say probably the first time that I had one on the end of my line. Uh, was with a one of these you know early osprey paddle tail swim baits they're called line throughs because the line goes through it and there's a treble hook on the bottom and i was swimming that thing at saguaro lake kind of over a boulder and i was swimming and swimming it and all of a sudden i just see this monster thing flash boom and it just it ate the bait right away at that time you know you kind of tried to make do with gear that wasn't around yet you know, being like the type of reels, the type of rods. You know, I was using a rod that's more specific for something else other than a treble hook. So mm-hmm. I lost that fish, but I didn't lose that experience, you know. And from mm-hmm. there, I guess it kind of went into like looking for more things and going online and, you know, trying to find what, you know, what other baits are made like this. And uh, I remember that, you know, I started seeing these baits that were pretty expensive, you know, what I thought like at the time, because this was a time when I was, you know, a $15 jerk bait was like a premium bait. Like, wow, you know, lucky craft, $15 jerk bait. Well, you're crazy, you know? And yet I'd go to the store and find these, you know, baits that are $75. So at first I always wanted to get just floating ones because I thought if I cast one of those off, I'm not going to be able to retrieve it, you know? And (laughs) so there was other baits that were, more like sinking style baits, but I didn't want to mess with that. I wanted to keep it top water. And, you know, another side of that is like, I always loved very visual styles of fishing. And, you know, I was the kind of guy that I would, I would be happy to go throw a top water all day long for just a few bites, as opposed to, you know, going and fishing, you know, deep structure, even though I might catch more fish, I wanted the excitement of seeing, you know, again, that taking it back to the snook and to the salt water and, I like seeing that predatory reaction that bass The explosion. Get. You like seeing just that explosion Absolutely. on the surface. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's kind of, that was kind of how I started swim baits. And I, I caught a fish on, you know, I caught some fish on there. At Pleasant, I caught a striper on it. I had some follows because, you know, these baits have a lot of call and a lot of draw to the fish. They're, they're a curious animal. And even when it's swimming by and even if they might not eat it or might not be hungry, they still they follow the bait. So they become visible and you see them. And, uh, you know, I had that happen for a while and then it kind of just became, you know, just another technique, kind of like jigs or worms. And, 
and it kind of got put away for a while. And it wasn't really until I think three three years ago that I I went again to Saguaro Lake, and uh, a buddy of mine was out there, one of the guides, Dale from the Hookup. He was out there, and he says, "Hey, Manny, last uh, last night." You know, some of the guys from the shop came out here and over at Butcher Jones, they stocked trout and they caught like a six pounder and a couple fives. And wow. You know, at that time, like a five pounder was something that I caught once a year, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and we go over there and I got to experience the day after the stocking, which is kind of like my favorite time to be there. That's when the trout are kind of piled up together. Some of them go off deep. Some of them stay shallow and just run shorelines. And these bass, they started throwing these trout in the air. I mean, I saw trout doing cartwheels. I saw one trout get chased and start porpoising and waking on the surface. And it ran into one of those black ducks. It sounded like a tennis racket. Bah! It ran into it. The duck was like, whack, whack, whack. And all of a sudden, I see like a big swirl underneath. Like that trout disappeared <laughs> from the earth so so right was, then yeah, you probably that was when uh, I actually saw it happen and i was like wow i gotta get back into this swim bait thing because i want to chase that like i want yeah. those things i mean they sounded like there was a child being thrown into the water yeah and and then i got to see them you know throwing them up on the surface i mean you know, under the shore i mean it was it was insane and that really like brought the fire back and from there i started you know really looking more into the internet and YouTube and, you know, what are guys throwing? What are they doing? Uh, ran into forums like Swimbait Underground and, you know, really started kind of seeing what this was all about. Because, again, it was something that was really popular, and, you know, gaining more popularity in California than anywhere else. And uh, so I, I really started, like, kind of seeing what those guys were doing. And it's it's funny now because a lot of these guys that I kind of would see and you know, in these pictures and all that, they're like friends now and they come down to visit and we all go fish together. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah. That's it, awesome. It, it's been a neat, uh, it's been a really neat progression. Now, do you have a certain swim bait that you like better than others? And if so, what is it? Yeah. And tell me a little bit about your, just, uh, if you're targeting big mm-hmm. fish and, and you think, okay, it's prime time. Tell me about your setup, uh, all the way down. Give me the whole rig, sure. everything, what you're using. So it starts off with, uh, you know, like I was talking about before, you know, before you had to really struggle to find a rod that could even throw these big things. And now you have uh, companies like Lowdown Custom Rods that really creates a rod that's very specific for these baits. Uh, these baits, the ones that I like a lot are called glide baits. They, you know, if you're familiar with like a, a bait that walks the dog, it zigzags on top of the water, like a Zara Spook mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. Well, these people created a, a single jointed bait that's a hard bait, has usually two treble hooks, and the neat thing with hydrodynamics, they figured out how to make it walk underwater, but without like the difficult rhythmic techniques. So you just reel in, and with the with the cadence of your reel, the bait swims side to side to side, and you know everybody's kind of always known that there's something about that action that big bass. Whether they love it or hate it, they eat it. And uh, so, you know, it starts off with the rod like Lowdown Custom. And, you know, they're made to handle a big treble hook. So it's kind of more like a big crankbait rod rather than a really stiff rod. Um, okay. it, it has, you know, it has the right action. 
for these treble hooks, for these baits. It has enough backbone to handle throwing these baits. Um, a really neat thing about these rods, they're spiral-wrapped, meaning that the, the guides that the line goes through, they start off on the top, and by the, by the end of the rod, they're on the bottom. And, uh, okay. you know, that, there's, there's a few, you know, benefits to that, such as, like, the line is never really touching the blank. So when you have these big fish that are really putting your gear and your line to the test, it's not rubbing on anything. It also creates a situation where uh, the rod maker can use less guides and smaller guides, so the, the overall weight of the rod is less. And that really makes the difference between casting one of these things all day long and being tired. Uh, another benefit of these, they have the right size length handles. You know, they're, they're, they're longer. They look like a, like a ninja sword, like a katana or something, uh, you know, but they're very technique specific and very technical. And uh, it really makes it a much more enjoyable time. You know, when I was first using other kinds of rods, the handles weren't long enough. My hands would hurt. My wrists would hurt. I just thought, hey, this is normal. If you're going to fish swim baits, you're going to have arthritis by the time you're 40, you know, and, and uh, so it starts off with the rod. Uh, the reels, you know, now there's companies that are seeing that, hey, this is a market. It's something that's coming. So, you know, reels are being made for these kind of, of baits that can handle the weights, handle the line capacity of, you know, 25 to 30, you know, 20-pound line, anything in that range. It can handle enough of that line but still not be overly huge, something that you can manage and cast. They have stronger drags to them also. Um and then, you know, the baits, like I was talking about, the glide baits are something that I think is just really neat. It's a very visual style of fishing. You're casting out to visual targets, and you're seeing the bait work in the water. So it almost becomes something where, like, every day I'm not even, like, really worried about what fish I catch or what size it is. I'm just stoked to go and, like, present these things, you know, make the cast, which is much more like golf, you know. You have to really think about the angles, be precise with your cast. And when you put it all together, you get rewarded with a fish. So that's awesome. Yeah. Like on a good day, Manny, um, on a good day, are, are you hooking one fish or is it, you know, every couple of days you're hooking a fish or tell me what a good day, if all conditions are right, what, what do you, what are you seeing? So I think that, you know, the first year that I got into really focusing on using them was kind of a really good year out here. We had a lot of cloud cover, a lot of a lot of storm fronts were moving in that year. Um, barometric pressure has a big effect on fish. Uh, it, it creates a situation where they go shallow. So they're actively hunting shallow. And, uh, you know, at, at first I would probably get somewhere around 30, 40 follows a day of these fish that I, you know, never used to see. Um, and out of those, maybe, you know, three to four or even more would bite it you know, hit the baits. And the thing is, it's a huge learning curve because it's completely different than anything we've ever done before. You as know, far as setting the setting hook, the you hook, mean? When to set the hook, uh, you know, how to fight the fish. It's completely opposite. You're not putting the rod tip up in the air. You're actually throwing it down into the water. You know, the last thing you want is the fish to, to, uh, to jump just because of the leverage, the weight that these baits have, they can easily spit them. Uh, you know, when to set the hook, many other techniques, you, you want to wait for that feel, you know, you want to feel them and then set the hook. This thing, it's almost like intuitive. You have to be watching your bait and really be focused on the bait because it all happens in a split second. 
You know, it happens real fast and they very quickly know that it's either real or it's fake and they spit it out. So, yeah, you know, for the first time I was getting all these kind of reactions from fish, but it took me about a month until I finally landed a fish on it. Just figuring how to set the hook, how to fight them. Now they're at the boat. What do I do now? You know, how to net them, the proper net. We use these big, huge nets. It looks like I'm out there hunting for trophy butterflies or something. But, it, you know, it all has its very tech, you know, technical reason. So it's it's almost like tactical stuff that you have to you have to think about everything when you're on your boat or on the shore. You know, if I get hit right now, where which way am I going to set the rod, you know, so I don't hit the trolling motor or, you know, end up in a bad situation. So it it really takes a lot of uh, tactical preparedness, you know, that you you have to really think a lot about all these things. And it's a huge learning curve. Absolutely. You know, it sounds like kind of a parallel I'm drawing in my mind is, you know, June, July and August, usually I'm up in Colorado and I have a 13 foot uh, fly fishing raft, a star inflatable with, you know, oh, neat. Plat- platforms on the front yeah. and back. And I, I'm typically rowing about five days a week, either on the Roaring Fork or the Colorado or the Eagle. Wow. And I, I want to kind of double back to something you said. First, the parallel that I see is I kind of became somewhat of a streamer junkie, yeah. and I know that it took me a while when fishing streamers for brown trout, your hook set is more of a strip set and down, not mm-hmm. the typical dry fly set that, you know, would be up, and if yeah. you do that up, you know, raise the rod up, uh, you're just pulling that streamer right out of their mouth, yeah. and uh, as soon as you can figure out to strip set or set down and you know stick keep it low your your hook sets go way up yeah. <laughs> one thing one it's it's a, you know once you get it then it's like oh this is uh, you know it's a totally different way to do it mm-hmm. one thing i want to circle back to that you said which i know is similar when i'm fishing brown trout on cloudy days uh brown trout seem to be a lot they're a lot more predatorial fish and they seem to be out when it's cloudy. Yeah. Bring me back to bass fishing and what you're saying about cloudy days, and that's sometimes better for swim bait fishing. Is that true? I think so. Somebody told me, uh, a friend of mine, you know, back in the day, he used to be kind of a professional bass angler. And, uh, you know, he kind of explained it to me that it, it has to do with the barometric pressure. Uh, the water, in the water, they also feel that change in pressure even a lot more than we do. And any fish that has a swim bladder, it starts affecting the gases inside the bladder. So they become more unstable. It's harder for them to stay deep. So they have to go shallow. And it's kind of nature's way of, you know, everything with a bladder has to go shallow to equalize that pressure. So it's kind of like nature's way of making the predator, you know, letting the predator feed before the storm comes in. Because then it could be... It could be a few days before it becomes easy for them to feed again. You know, wind could kick up water, turbulence, you know, silt in the water. Like many factors can happen that will make it harder for that predator to get its food. So it's really interesting how that happens. And, you know, it happens in streams, lakes, you know, probably even the ocean. I mean, it happens everywhere. Any fish that has that bladder will be affected by that. And, yeah, definitely when I look back at like a lot of my videos, you know, some of a lot of those hits are on hazy, cloudy days and, you know, front prefrontal conditions. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's um, that's uh, 
Great to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manny, what's your forecast for what you're seeing going on? I mean, you're on the water virtually every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far are we away from the bass um, really starting to spawn? What are you seeing out there? What, what are you seeing? I think it's coming. My, uh, my boat has actually been in the shop for like a, uh, two weeks getting a new trolling motor after seven years, mine finally died. (laughs) Uh So, um, you know, I haven't really been out in this newer, warmer weather. I have heard that, you know, people are starting to see a lot more fish shallow and just like, again, you know, the spawn is coming, whether the weather does whatever it does, you know, it's coming. The fish are going to start moving shallow tomorrow. I'm pretty sure we're going to start seeing, you know, a lot more of these fish shallow. Um, and it becomes, it goes from feeding more to a aggression reaction. So the fish, mm. you know, they want to start clearing the shallows. They start clearing them of, of sunfish, of smaller bass. They start kind of becoming real, you know, uh, not just predatory, but almost uh, territorial. territorial, yes, with uh-huh. their with their areas. So they're going to start clearing those areas up, and that's when, you know, the baits of our size become really irritating for them to see them there. And that's kind of going to happen from now throughout the spawn. Uh, you know, the spawn kind of used to be a time when, you know, before I knew about these baits, the spawn was neat because that was a time when fish were on beds and it was like our chance to catch those bigger fish. Now that I know how to catch them and even more techniques that involve not fishing them on the beds, it makes it really interesting. Basically what happens is on the beds, you see the smaller males. Those bigger females are just back deeper out of sight. And when you run these swim baits by these, you know, in those areas, it starts really aggravating those females and you really get into some big fish. So it. So Manny, would you say that, you know, the best 30 days is right in front of us or is it still 10, two weeks out? Give me, give me kind of a. Yeah, let's see the end of February here through probably the beginning or middle of May, really until it starts getting warm. What'll happen is we stop seeing the real big ones and we start seeing just a lot of smaller fish being like gotcha. pound and a half, two pounds. You know, we start seeing more of those and then the summer sets in and it just becomes kind of a little too hot and miserable to be out there for me. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's when you shift and start fishing other, other places, right? Yes. That's when uh, actually it's kind of neat because the, the carp, they love to be in the warmer water and the carp is a whole funny a funny thing that, you know, that's something that in my time has become almost like a more of a cult following for carp on the fly rod. You know, my first one was probably 15 years ago. I remember I was just, I was getting a little burnt out on chasing bass in the urban ponds and I wanted something bigger. And, uh, down the street, there was a certain pond that I just, uh, I found these carp that were eating really shallow, like half of their back was out of the water um, it was an, it's kind of more of like a retention water place, more than like an urban, you know, cement lined, uh, pond. And, uh, I remember throwing a hopper out there because thinking, Hey, if they're, their mouth, I can see their mouth. Maybe I can get this hopper to go into that mouth by accident. And sure enough, one ate it and it, it didn't jump, you know, carp do not jump, but it cleared water in inches of water so fast going towards the deep that it went into the air. And, uh, it just spool you. Yeah. And I instantly, you know, I got to see the backing for the first time in my Arizona history, you know, and, (laughs) and it like, it sparked a whole obsession. You know, I wanted to learn how to catch these carp and I realized like, Hey, this is great practice for bonefish, redfish, 
you know, these other things that I maybe I only got to do once a year, you know, I could practice on these carp. And it, it truly is like it's not a game fish, but it's a great, you know, it's a great thing to do. And, uh, you know, in Arizona, it's our hard, hardest fighting fish, whether we like it or not. You know, they're going to they're the ones that are going to put you into the backing, you know, really fight for a long extended time. And you pull them out of the water and they can be anywhere from, you know, 10 pounds to 30 pounds. So, wow. We, now, in your guide service, um, I want you to tell me about your guide service, um, but I also want you to tell me, do you, do you do trips for carp? And tell me about that, and then tell me about your, your striper and your, um, your bass fishing. Tell me about like what a typical day uh-huh. is, and g- give me some insight so it's, on that. It's really neat. It's become, you know, with the, with the world of social media, I never thought that that would be like such a, such a door and an avenue for me to to make this dream happen of being a guide. Um, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, I started putting these videos and these pictures up, and uh, people started calling this whole thing the Manny Chi experience. And that's kind of why that stuck on, you know. The, and, I love and it. That's, yeah, love that's that what name. I call it, the Manny Chi experience. And, uh, I love it. You know, it's what I usually fish bass are we fish out of my Ranger 223 Cayman. It's actually a 22 foot flat skiff, like a flow, uh, Texas style, uh, skiff. And it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. You know, I bought it new in 2007 and I was kind of fed up with the bass boat setup of having, you know, a pedal because I was also doing, you know, bass on fly back then, you know, more than the swim bait thing. So I wanted something that was, you know, that would cater to the bass or to the fly rods. I can, you know, fit the the lockers fit a full fly rod, not having to take it apart. It's all deck. It's all clear, uh, clear of, you know, foot pedals and all that kind of thing. And uh, there's no carpet on the boat. You know, it's a saltwater style deck. So one thing I hated was always having to re-carpet your boat and always, you know, dirt or you take your dog and now there's oil and mud on your on your deck. And, you know, so I use that saltwater boat. And it's it runs super shallow, ten and a half inches of water, but at the same time it can handle big wind or big waves that are put out by you know some other boats. So it's a really safe platform for that. Um, that's how I fish the bass and the whole experience thing. You know, I just uh, in last November I moved into a new house. I now have a, a couple rooms where clients can stay, their own bathroom, their own room, shower. And uh, it's really neat because I've kind of created this niche market with the social media of people that are pretty much my age and they come stay with me for a few days. And that, you know, just the way fishing is here in Arizona from somebody that, you know, fishes consistently, you'll see that one day is just really good. And for no rhyme or reason, the next day is really bad. And then, you know, it's really good again all of a sudden. So I really like when people get to come and stay with me for multiple days because we really get to experience, you know, at least one of those days will be good. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. So that, you know, and, and part of that whole experience, too, is these, you know, these swim baits, they're really hard to get. You know, nothing is really available at Bass Pro Shops or Kmart, you know, Walmart or, you know, you can't just go online and order them. Um, they're really a boutique type thing. You know, even the companies that make them are smaller companies. They're limited productions. Uh, A lot of stuff comes from Japan. A lot of really neat stuff comes from the USA, you know, what we call garage builds. 
So it's somebody that usually has another job or another you know, way to make money, but they also have such a passion for creating things and, and fishing that they, they make these handmade baits. You know, they take a lot of tuning, you know, that action that they have and the way they hover and in the water, like it, it's really tough to get to it. So, Do you have a certain company that you really like or yeah, a certain bait? Yeah, I, like, uh, I really like the Roman made stuff. Roman made is from Japan and they make a bait called the Mother. It's a 12-inch bait. It's made out of wood, and it's really a piece of art that you fish, you know. And uh, the draw and the, you know, just the technology and the the R and you know research and development that goes into making that, it's it's amazing. It really does have a different effect on fish. A lo- another guy from San Diego, Andrew Hinkle, makes an amazing bait also. That's a, an 11-inch trout imitation and. It's really neat that these baits that, you know, even though they're trout, you, you can take them to states and waters that have never seen a trout, and it's all about size and profile, which is what makes these fish eat it. And the whole Manny Chi experience, the neat thing about it is that, you know, I talk to a lot of these people. They see the benefit in having these baits on my boat because you're putting them in the hands of, of potential customers, you know, sure. people that have enough expendable income to buy these rods, buy, you know, be out here with me on a trip. They have the money to buy these baits and the you know the interest in it, so it's it's a really neat way for them to get their names out too, um, you know. But the yeah the the whole experience is that hey that bait that you've been seeing online and that's going for four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars here it is let's fish it let me show you how to fish this thing you know and you can decide whether you want to buy this one or not and how it'll work in your waters. That's all part of the whole Manny Chi experience. You know, when you're out there with me, you're on the best boat. You're having the best rods, low down custom rods. You have the best reels, which, you know, those are just different, different companies make different reels for different situations. So I keep all sure. of the best ones and, uh, you know, the hardest to get baits. So you'll be fishing there and just in your hands, you can easily have a thousand dollars, you know, or more than a thousand dollars sitting in your hand instead of, you know, going out and having to, to spend a lot of money on buying the right baits, the wrong baits, you know, oh, I bought this thinking it would do that and it actually doesn't, um, you know, it cuts down a lot on the learning curve is basically what my trips are all about. Um, so if someone wants to fly out here and go fishing with you, they can stay with you. Yeah. They don't even have to bring any gear. They can use your gear Correct. and they roll around with you for a couple days mm-hmm. and then and then they're back off to the airport, and um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Manny, what is your website? What is your Instagram? Give me the give me the give me the uh, addresses. Yes, yeah. um, everything how is people under can Manny Chi. M a n n y c h e e. So mannychi.com is the website. Manny Chi is the Instagram. Manny Chi is the Facebook. <laughs> um, Makes it pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's not just bass, you know, I also have a drift boat that I use in the urban ponds to target those carp. So that's pretty neat because, you know, you get to fish from an actual drift boat. So you have the whole feel of like a fly fishing, you know, experience. Also like a fly fishing drift boat? Yeah. That's what you use? Uh-huh. I use a Hog Island drift boat for the, for the carp trips and also awesome. for like mountain, you know, trout lakes. I use, the, I use the drift boat. So it's a very steady you know, safe platform. There's no tipping over. There's no worry about it. It's not a small little aluminum John boat. It's, you know, it, it's proper, proper setups. I, you know, if there's one thing that I really like to have is just the best gear, 
You know, I'm an Orvis endorsed guide and I use, you know, they, they give us big discounts on gear. And the way I look at that is that that makes it affordable for us to have their best product lines. And, you know, even if the fishing isn't great, your experience is going to be great. And what you learn will be great. And it's almost like a demo day that you get to come out and try out the latest best stuff, whether it's fly fishing, awesome. swim baits, you know, whatever we're targeting, you're going to have prime gear in your hands. And you're going to learn a lot of lessons that, you know, have taken me many years to learn or many dollars to learn, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of trial and error. Exactly. Um, Manny, I, I'm going to, I know you got to go get that boat today. Um, <laughs> I want to finish on, tell me about two things. Tell me about the video setup that you have. I, you, you must have a camera that's mounted uh-huh. uh, on the boat. And then second, I want you to finish I noticed there's a young gentleman that uh, I've seen in a bunch of your videos, and your videos are unbelievable. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But there's a young, young. He looks young, yeah. like 15, 16 years old, maybe younger. Uh-huh. And um, seems like there's a series of progression. You've been fishing with him for a couple of years. Tell me who that is, and tell me what it means to you to to be fishing with the youth, much like you were fishing with someone uh, that yeah. was mentoring you. Okay, so my camera setup. I just use the GoPro cameras. Um, you know, they're, they're neat because you can mount them anywhere and, you know, really modular, um, you know, they, they make lots of different mounts so you can have them hanging off your rod, your head, your boat, your, you know, underwater, you know, they definitely have some downfalls like overheating out here in Arizona. Um, you know, the batteries, they become, you know, it, it almost becomes a little bit aggravating having to deal with it, but it's definitely worth it because one of those days you'll catch the big, you know, a, a fish of a lifetime you'll have it on camera. Um, sure. So I use that. I use Adobe Premiere for the editing. I was never into cameras or, you know, making film or, you know, home movies. I actually always hated that. The last thing I would ever want to hear is like my voice on a video. You know, I just feel <laughs> like, God, you sound so stupid, you know, and you look dumb too. But it's just <laughs> something that I knew I had to do. And I, I did it. And, and just, you know, uh, the gentleman that helped me with my website, Adam, uh, he, he told me from the start, he said, Manny, this, you know, it's all about your enthusiasm and your, your love and your passion for this. You need to shine. You need to like put that through in your videos. And I, from what I hear, I've done a good job with that. I guess. Yes, you have. <laughs> I, I love watching your Thank videos you so on much. your website. <laughs> uh, for sure. Absolutely. And then, so the mystery kid that is in, you know, a few of my videos is uh, the little boss, Henry Wagey. Uh, Henry is, uh, he, when he first came out with me, he was five years old and wow. he's like a small kid, you know, kind of like yeah, how I little, was. Yeah. He's not a yeah. big five-year-old. He's a very small five-year-old. And, uh, his, his dad got a hold of me through the Orvis store because I made a carp video and, you know, I kind of put up my sponsors on my videos. And from there he went to the local Orvis store in Scottsdale. He said, Hey, do you guys know this Manny Chi guy? And of course, they're all homies. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Manny Chi, you know, here's this information and blah, blah, blah. So Scott Wagey, his dad, gets a hold of me and says, hey, you know, my name is Scott Wagey. I have this kid, five-year-old Henry, and he loves your videos. Like he comes home and, you know, dad, dad, put the Manny Chi video on, put the Manny Chi video on. So he was like, I got a hold of you and like would like to see about, you know, booking a trip. And that was like in December. And I was like, man, you know, it, there's no... He, he said that, you know, he's, he's, he's casting a fly rod. You know, it's something that they've been doing together. He's been working with him, and he can somewhat cast a fly rod. 
So I thought, okay, well, let's, you know, probably the best thing going will be a carp trip. You know, it's on this big safe drift boat. It's in a local pond. It's not a huge, you know, trip out into the outdoors, but yet, you know, we'll get a taste for things. And uh, sure enough, we went out and we got him on carp and uh, it was awesome. And now, you know, fast forward like two years, he's seven now. He double hauls a fly rod. He's an amazing caster. And he has this passion that like I saw in myself. And, you know, it's almost like very, it's really awesome for me to see a dad and a mom that are nurturing that passion in the right way, you know, giving the, him opportunities to to grow that passion. And uh, the kid's fishy, like he's amazing. You know, there's just something about him. He already has you know, his biggest largemouth is a five pounder. His biggest smallmouth is four pounds. Uh, you know, he's caught his own stripers. He's, uh, you know, kills trout out there. Just, you know, hammers at everything. He catches 30 pound carp. Uh, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And it's really what like, you know, really like makes me feel great about what I'm doing. You know, whenever I kind of get down on things, I always look and I say, you know, I'm being that that guy that somebody was for me, like what Mark Edelman did for me back in the day, it feels so good to now pass that on to somebody like Henry, you know, from such a young age, because I know that for the rest of his life, he'll remember those trips. And whether he likes it or not, they're on the internet, you know, they're, <laughs> he loves it. But, yeah. you know, those videos will always be there, those pictures and those memories. And it's just real, like, it's really neat to me that I'm going to be that guy that taught him, showed him these things and, and showed him my passion. And, you know, we shared some, some amazing memories. So that's, uh, it definitely like makes me like, that's what life's all about. I think. That's awesome. Well, well, kudos (laughs) to you for uh, doing that with him and, um, just uh, love watching your stuff. I'm glad we got to spend (laughs) some time here today. I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. um, Thank you for having me, uh, Jade. I'll be watching Instagram and and your Facebook to see how the next month goes for you or next month and a half. And I just (laughs) wish you the best of success. And uh, like I said, I look forward to doing it again. And thanks for being with us. And uh, guys, go check out Manny Chi on Instagram, on his website, uh, and on his Facebook. Uh, His videos are incredible. And uh, uh, thanks for for being on. And uh, I'll catch you later. Definitely. Thanks, Jay. Bye. All right, Manny. Take care. Wow, what an awesome show with Manny Chi. Manny is definitely one of our best fishermen in the state in all species, but he really focuses on those big bass. Uh, the pictures coming out of his uh, his Instagram account the last couple days have been amazing. Uh, the fishing's really turned on for him, and uh, just uh, glad that he was able to spend some time with us. I want to thank our listeners uh, for supporting us here at J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. Uh, and, uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, give us some good reviews on iTunes, uh, give us some five-star reviews and, uh, go ahead and keep sending your questions and comments to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along at jscottoutdoors.com on our Facebook at jscottoutdoors, Instagram, jscottoutdoors, and on our YouTube channel, jscottoutdoors. I wanted to cover a question that was asked of uh, Glenn R. from New Mexico asks, what is the best advice for glassing coos deer on windy days? 
And one of the things that I can tell you that Dara and I do on a windy day is we try and find which direction the wind is blowing and we try and put that wind directly into our face. So if we have a, you know, gusting 20 mile, 15, 20 mile an hour wind and it's directly in our face and our, our goal is to put it directly into our binos so we're looking directly on the lee side so where the wind is coming from and a lot of times those coos deer uh, will be will be uh, taking cover in the open or sometimes on the thick but definitely on the lee side of the hill so the least windy side of the hill um, another question comes in from adam c from uh, denver colorado he asked uh, have you had a chance to try out the kuyu chinook series yet uh, how would it be for bow hunting? Um, you know, for a long time, the attack pant, uh, the Kuyu attack pant has been my favorite uh, archery elk and say spring turkey pant to wear. Uh, and uh, I just uh, have spent my first season in the Chinook pant. Uh, I used them uh, quite a bit on uh, sheep uh, scouting for the auction tag and uh, um I got to say, I used them in, in Mexico for coos deer in January as well, and I really like this new Chinook series. Um, it's got a really good feeling material to them. It's got a nice stretch. Um, the pockets are in the right place. I really like the jacket, too. The jacket seems to be um, real nice and form-fitting, and it's just got a real sleek fit. So actually, yeah, I think it would be great, uh, Adam, for um, bow hunting. And uh, we're going to be uh, talking uh, quite a bit more about all the different Kuyu garments here uh, in a future podcast with uh, uh, Kuyu founder Jason Hairston. And um, we're going to cover all of that. So we'll dive more into your questions. Uh, guys, I appreciate your support. And uh, thanks. And until next time, God bless.